Hello and welcome to episode 897 of The Sleeper and the Bus. It is Thursday, February 25th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm joined this morning by Justin Mason. Justin, good morning, sir. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, if you were in a coma for the last uh, 10 days or so, I could not convince you of the winter storm that we had here last week. <laughs> I didn't know where you were going with that. I love the way Jen puts it. We're being gaslit by the weather because it's insane, dude. What's it, it was like 80 now? yesterday. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> yes. I could not convince somebody that, like, you know, one of these idiots that thinks, like, the snow was fake or whatever. If they came here to Texas now and said, remember all that devastation you saw? This is where we're at this week. They'd be like, oh, so that was a fake, fake storm, right? <laughs> no, you stupid moron. But. It's insane, dude. It's insane. 75 plus all week. Got the fan on. Had to turn the air on a little bit yesterday. Got that hot. So it's just wild. So I'm happy about that from the weather aspect. Um, the, the sharp movement in weather has put uh, Jen and I a little bit under the under the weather, so to speak. Mm. But uh, nothing too bad. Nothing too bad. How about you? How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right, man. Uh, my wife got the second COVID shot yesterday mm-hmm. or a couple days ago uh, and that's why we couldn't record on tuesday because Correct. she was she was so sick and she still is pretty sick from it uh but she's just kind of toughing it out so i can come and come and record with you we recorded an episode last night of the tgfbi podcast we've been doing this kind of beginner series with her uh and it was no joke the sexiest episode of fantasy baseball podcast history you gave me a preview of it as far as like some things that happen. When I tell you I can't wait, man. Yes. It just sounds so intriguing. And uh, yeah, people just have to listen to, to have an idea what you're talking about as far as this uh, sexiness thing. So, and that, then, I mean, that's that's it. That's that, that's the news yeah. right there. Yeah, no, you got to go listen to it. It's the episode with Batflip Crazy, uh, who's just a great guy in the industry. Got in a tout wars this year, so I'm super stoked for him. Big ups to him. Uh and then, uh, yeah, Potapalooza is coming up this weekend. I know, can't wait. It's, it's going to be, be wild. So much fun! Two days of live streams. Uh, you can catch it on pretty much all my social media outlets: Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Um, and uh, you can win prizes for every dollar donated. Uh, you get a raffle ticket. Uh, you can donate by uh, hitting me up or. Donating to PayPal, uh, justinmasonfantasy at gmail.com or Venmo at Justin Salinger. Uh, and every dollar raised goes to Mental Health America. So a lot of Perfect. really, really cool uh, prizes, draft guides, a fancy black book, uh, a bunch of fan graphs, memberships, um, uh, subscriptions to sites like, uh, like there's a Lifetime Fantasy Alarm subscription and a Fantasy Guru subscription. Uh, Patrick Davitt will have someone as a guest on his podcast. Like so really, really, our our good friend Ian Khan will break down your dynasty team over Zoom. Oh, that's really nice. So, like some, uh, you know, you know the guy who does uh, Brian Feldman who does all the auctions for for Tower. Yes, yes, he will. Great. He if you live within a seventy-five mile radius of New York City, he will drive to your home league next year and do your auction for you. Let's go. So, like some really, really, really cool prizes so definitely donate all the money goes to a really really great uh organization and cause so uh i'm I'm super stoked 
that's fantastic. That's really good news to hear. I'm excited to be part of that and uh, and, and come on and also do my episode with you and Danielle. So mm-hmm. yeah, it should that's be a lot tomorrow. of fun. That's going to be yes. super fun. I'm very excited for it. So we got all that coming up. You know, it's obviously peak season right now, so things are popping off. And uh, we're going to get into some closers today, but we got news left and right. So let's dive right into that. Let's start with Shohei Otani throwing 97 in his bullpen. That's it. I mean, that's that's the news right there. It's not anything, uh, you know, over the top, but that's encouraging. I mean, that's a huge number. And, you know, we're keeping very close eye on, on everything he's doing right now uh, with the elbow injury last year. He is kind of a, a mystery player. I do think if you're in a league format in, in a uh, uh, on a site that allows him to be put in as a pitcher or utility for Otani, that he's a great price right now. Um, this might move that needle a little bit, though. You know, he's sitting in the in the early 200s there, in like the 225 to 240 range. Something like this, in my opinion, should probably push him up a, a good bit. Yeah, I think it will. I don't know that it's gonna bump it up a ton. I think it, it's also very site dependent. Like you said, uh, you know, whether the site allows you to use him as a pitcher or hitter, whether your league is daily moves or weekly moves, but. Also, like how many uh, hitters in your league kind of going ahead of him are UT only? Because this is True. a season in which we've got a lot of guys who are UT only, right? You've got yep. uh, JD Martinez and Stanton. Now, in some leagues, they're st- they've, they've retained outfield eligibility. But in leagues that have them as UT only, you can't draft those guys and then go draft Otani. So I think that would keep his price down. A, a little bit, but the fact that he, you know, he was hitting what ninety three was, you know, his average fastball velocity last year, and now we're talking about a guy who's been hitting ninety seven. I'm getting interested. I'm still a little scared, and it's definitely going to still be a headache to kind of use him because we don't really know how, what their uh, schedule for him is going to be. Um, yeah. But that being said, like. Is there a player in fantasy with the upside of Shohei Otani? I don't know that there is. I don't know that there is either. You know, I, I'm still I'm still pretty bought in on him, and you can understand that sort of uh, disparity with him just by looking at his min max. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking now since let's see what what days did I put? Uh, I've got it from 156 to 316 over the last just, month. I did from the 10th to the 25th, okay. just a tight window there in onlines. Otani has a min of 114, a max of 291. Whoa. That's just an online championships. That's 11 drafts. But that's, you know, you have, the, you have just your seven guys on reserve. You're making moves. And, I mean, that just tells you where it's at and what room you're in. And this is where knowing your league is going to help, too. Obviously, on, like, NFBC, you might not be able to know that many folks. But those of you in home leagues, you're going to know how your league reacts and how much you can let him fall. Um, But some rooms are going to have that eager person ready to take him. Mm -hmm. And others are going to be collectively kind of against wanting to dive for him and creating that great buying opportunity on Otani. So keep an eye on that. Where would you Uh, take him? I would take him in the late 100s. Okay. So would you take him over Jamison Tyon? Going 195? Yes. Would you take him over Aaron Savali? That's my guy, man. I know. And Urquidy's right there, too. Um, 
I might, man, because like the backup of the hitting is so nice. Mm-hmm. It really is. Like it's close there, and and I mentioned Urquidy too because he's somebody I love. So you got Savali, Urquidy, Otani right there, and a little trio of players I'm really, really interested in. And I wonder, you know, I'm going to play the little cop out about, like, how's the team kind of being constructed. I'm going to favor Savali first. So he'll be the number one there. Then if I'm if I'm ranking them and not doing the whole consideration thing, let me just go Savali, Otani, or Kiti. How about that? Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of depends on what you're looking at, at him as. Yeah. Is, is he a hitter to you that could sometimes pitch if you fall behind in pitching, or is he a pitcher to you that could fall behind – or that could, you know, fill in as a hitter. Um, it sounds like, to me, like you're considering him a pitcher that you would use as a hitter if you started to fall behind or, or he, you know, really... Or, or, if, or if he's just not... Rushing it, yeah. Yeah, if he's just not doing that well pitching and they put him back to hitting full-time. Again, if, you know, an injury could obviously take him out of everything, but there's also injuries that could just take him out of pitching and put him into that full-time hitting. I know it didn't quite work last year, but even when it wasn't working... He was still putting up a uh, you know decent power and speed numbers there. Mm-hmm. Otani was so there's just a lot of maneuverability or, or a lot of potential with what he can do, and so I think the upside there is still just too strong not to be interested in Shohei Otani. So I will remain bought in on him and and like I said, paying somewhere in the late 100s. I can't quite get up to that 114 mark. Someone wants to do that by all means, have at it. But uh, once you kind of hit that midpoint. Then I really start to uh, then I really start to get interested the mid midway in the hundreds I should say so once once one fifty hits he's then on the table for me depending on where everything is ideally I'm getting him in the late one hundreds so that's where I'm at on uh, I think uh, on yeah, I think one seventy is my spot okay if he gets I, I think that's past fair. like Montas and um, you know some of the other pitchers in that area that's when I start going. Would I rather have him than David Price? Uh, I think I, mm-hmm. I think I'll take Otani. Would I rather have him than McKenzie or Mike Soroka? I think yeah, I think I'd probably go Otani. Yeah, I mean it's just the talent is extreme. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to see a fully healthy season. It'd be so fun. I really, 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 really want to see it. Uh, let's move on though. Talk about Cody Bellinger. It's supposed to be a full go next week. And that's huge coming off that shoulder. You know, there was definitely some concerns. I, I'm a little cautious right now. I gotta say, I'm pretty nervous about taking him you know i don't i don't really want to take him in the first round right now i am encouraged by this that he's based the quote is basically a full go in workouts next week which means he's way ahead of schedule i I, it's encouraging but i'm still a little bit nervous on that yeah it's interesting about pellinger it's interesting because like you know they say he's supposed to be a full go next week but he said a few days ago that he's not expecting to play in cactus league games until mid-march so So what changed yeah i feel like maybe he's gonna be a full go in order to do everything but he's gonna just take it easy or something so Mm -hmm. like i could totally see his adp like jump up next week when everybody's like he's a full go look he's hitting bp and stuff and then all of a sudden the first spring training games go and he's not playing um, I'm, you know, I am somewhat concerned, but the price, man, I've had him go like middle of the second round in 15 team leagues. I got him middle of the second round in a 15 team league, paired him with uh Trey Turner in the first round, uh, and felt pretty damn good about it. I think it all comes down to kind of your, uh, 
your your how you view risk, especially early. If you're willing to take some risk early, then I think Bellinger is a, a risk worth taking because, like, even in a down season last year, he still hit 12 home runs and stole six bases. So like, yeah, I mean that that speed component really makes Bellinger so next level. I mean, he's so good with his power and everything, but you throw in some speed. Uh, on that great team, so the counting runs ribbies should be strong. I understand the interest. Uh, I just I want a little bit more clarity. Thankfully, I don't have a draft for the next couple of weeks, but uh, you know, I want a little bit more clarity on that health before I really dive in. I'll be interested to see how this progresses over the next week or two, and then that's going to you know kind of set that final price for him as we go into mid March, which is peak draft season for Bellinger. So, you know, I'm not fully out. I I have some nerves, but I, I'm I'm not fully out on on taking him. Yeah, I'm I'm not either. I I mean anybody who, you know, has like 40, you know, 45 15 upside is worth a gamble at points. Yeah, for sure. So keep an eye on Bellinger there and, you know, based on your risk profile, you can decide what you want to do with him. Uh, let's talk about Brandon Lau on the Rays getting some third base reps, which is kind of interesting, you know. Uh, we were actually talking on my stream yesterday. We watched this video that somebody did, kind of a video essay about appreciating Ben Zobrist and how good he was. And so we were kind of talking like, oh, who, who's who's current Ben Zobrist? Um, and we had some, you know, uh, ideas about, well, you know, you got to be kind of infield, outfield, this, that, and the other. We did mention Lau because he had played, you know, second and outfield, not quite the, the positional versatility that we'd seen from Zobris. And I actually made a comment. I said, well, I feel like he could play other positions. He just hasn't been asked to. And then literally the next day I'm doing pod notes and I see that he's taking reps at third base. So, you know, they're just adding to their flexibility uh, by, by getting Lau some of these third base reps. I don't know that he's necessarily in, in like great position to add the eligibility this year, but it's pretty cool that it, they're even considering it, that they like, uh, they want him on the field so much that they're like, hey, you know, because I wonder if they're setting this up in case Franco is ready and, and I'm wrong about about it because I'm still concerned that he's not even going to play in the majors this year. But what if they what if they are going to go ahead and try him out? They put him at second, Adamas at short and then Lau at third because Lau's not coming off the field. He's too good. And now the outfield's getting a little crowded there with the Rosarena, Kiermaier, and Meadows, um, or in Margot, excuse me, Meadows at DH, that I think third base is the obvious place where you would put Lau. Joey Wendell's a perfectly cromulent player, but he's not stopping. He basically, Franco would be taking Wendell's spot in a roundabout way. So what do you think of this Brandon Lau news at third? Do you think it's setting up something like that for, for either Franco or maybe even Vidal Brujan, who's a lower but still intriguing prospect? Um, or is this just just to gain the flexibility? I, I think this has everything to do with the guys they're planning on bringing up from the minor leagues. Yeah. Uh, I do think Franco's up at some point, um, and either Franco plays second base or they shift over uh, William Thomas from short to second. And you know, Brandon Lau can either go to the outfield or if this third base thing works out, they can move. Lau to third base, Wendell can be the super utility guy that he's kind of best suited for, you know, gives G-Man Choi some off days, gives, uh, you know, Franco or uh, or uh, Adamas off days. Uh, so, I, I, yeah. And I injuries do... can pop up, too, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, the, the, I mean, that stuff often plays itself out. I will mention, 38 innings for Brandon Lau at first base mm-hmm. in his major league career. So, he's also already played there. He, he could bounce over to there, too. So they want their guys, they want 
everyone that they can to have as much positional eligibility as is reasonable. And uh, adding to Lau's tool, I think it's great. His toolkit, I should say. Yeah. I, I think it's I think it's only positive. I was already high on Brandon Lau this Same. year. And if he were to add corner infield eligibility, either at first or third, it would just make him so much more money already being second base and outfield. So uh, I'm, yeah, I'm going to put, continue to, you know, be aggressive on Brandon Lau and, uh, and hope that, you know, either Franco, I mean, I really like Vidal Brujan. Me too. Uh, Huge fan. Yeah. So I, I don't know if he's going to be up before like end of the year, but yeah, I mean, like, see, I, I'm just so torn on the, on the Franco stuff. Mm-hmm. Like he's going to only be 20. And he hasn't played above high. I understand he's a transcendent prospect. It just doesn't fit Tampa's mo to really push him. I know, but they they gave him the World Series jersey. They made him a. He was the alternate. Was for, token. You think so? I mean, I mean, maybe he, not. Maybe he's just so good that he breaks even Tampa Tampa Bay's mold. Um, you only have so many spots, great. right? Like, you know, for 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 those kind of alternate positions in case someone gets injured. So the fact mm-hmm. that they were willing to say we're going to let you debut in the World Series if something happens. You know um, who else debuted in the World Series recently? I, who? Mondesi. Oh, that's right. Isn't that wild? Um, so, yeah, you know, it could happen. It could happen. You know, I think uh, Kirloff debuted in the playoffs last year for the Twins. And so, you know, that's that's a big trust meter there of like, hey, we'll put you in on the playoffs. Like that says something for sure, even if it's just being an alternate or, or getting an at bat or something. Uh, so I understand that, but I do like Bruhan, and I think he could be up this year because he'll be 23, and he's played Double A and Arizona Fall League, and Arizona Fall League is kind of like a finishing school, and so I think he can get an opportunity. There's Taylor Walls as well, who isn't as fantasy relevant, but definitely somebody to be mindful of too. Um, so they've got a lot work in there, which only muddies things up more and Tampa Bay, you know, they themselves make things a little muddy with all the, all the switching and stuff that they do and, and how they do slow roast their guys. So it'll be tough to read, but, uh, Brandon Lau, I think this is definitely a move telegraphing that, Hey, we've got some middle infielders on the way and we're not taking Lau off the field. So we're going to find another opportunity for him just in case. So I like that. Let's talk about Vlad jr. He lost. 42 pounds. We've been, we've been hearing about how stealthy he is and all that. It's been best shape of his life, this, that, and the other. Finally get an official number, 42 pounds. He says, uh, it was fun. wasn't difficult. I feel quicker on all aspects of my game right now, defensively and offensively. And he's really excited. Um, you know, he wants to play some more third, but looks like he's probably going to play first. That's fine. I think this only helps across the board, though, whether it's his defense at either corner um, or, of course, in, in the batter's box. Not that you can't hit being a bit bigger. But you know, absolutely nothing wrong with being with being jacked too. So I'm. Th- this is pretty interesting. Tough part for me though, I think, is market price is way too high on Vlad already. I mean, I'm not out on him being a superstar. I'm really not. But we're still betting on the come with him, and I, I feel like there's like no discount, no matter what. Like he just has been pretty average so far with hints of, of his potential greatness. He has a 107 WRC plus and 757 major league plate appearances, 24 homers uh, and 269 average. And he's still pick 55 and he's first base only right now. And that's what's the killer. That's the killer for me. That's where I'm like, there's no chance I'm taking him as first base only. If I had third base, that would change things a little bit, 
but as first base only, I can't do it. I, I want him. I, I want him to be great. And if he's awesome, hats off to the people that stayed confident. But I can't do it. But I am intrigued by this uh, weight loss, and I hope I hope he kills it. It just won't be on any of my teams. How do you feel about Vlad Jr. and his in his draft price? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way as you. I did take him in a league. Uh, Shelly and I were in the tag team league, um, and she's a really big Vlad fan. And uh, we were both kind of really big Randy Arosarena fans. And so on the 4-5 um, turn, I said, all right, you let me take a Rosarena, even though we already have an outfielder. Um, I'll let you take Vlad. And she was like, perfect. Um, and uh, so we... Teamwork. Yeah. It was actually a really, really fun draft. I mean, uh, and her and I saw eye to eye on a lot of the talent we were like the team came out with. I'm a little concerned we kind of paid a little bit of the ceiling on him. Uh, sure. Because, yeah, I mean, you're, you're kind of... The price right now is saying that you believe he will do what uh, kind of a lot of people in the industry believe he can, mm -hmm. um, or at least be marketably better than he's been the last two years. That's uh, the thing. Because the thing for me is, you know, remember when he like first, you know, was, he was going to come to the league in 2019 and he like broke projection systems, right? Mm -hmm. Like steamer had him winning the batting title, the overall batting. Yeah, exactly. And like, just his skills in the minors for Vlad Jr. were so good that the projection systems just spit out the, these brilliant numbers. I mean, even even this year, they're spitting out 130 WRC plus totals. The Bat X has him at a 138 with 32 homers. And I get it. Like I, I understand why, but I still I still think I have to see more from him I, you know and i was in early right i i i paid the the real premium and i'm trying not to just be burnt and and not go back to it i'm trying to learn from the fact that okay I, you know i bet off rip that he was going to hit the ground running and he didn't quite do that he's he wasn't bad he hasn't been bad as a major leaguer but he wasn't special to be like a third round pick or wherever i took him um so i'm just just tapping the brakes a little bit on vlad jr for my personal price especially at first base but this is intriguing with this weight loss We'll see how much he can rake, and if he has a big, I, I kind of want to see him hit like five or six spring homers, uh, <laughs> and he'll be like a he'll be a second rounder, dude. He yeah, he watch. totally will. Like uh, if, I, if he hits, if, if he hits six spring home runs, he's going in front of like Alex Bregman and yep. probably Anthony Rendon. Yep. Um, and then that point, I'm completely out. No, it'll be it'll be wild, but I kind of I kind of want to see it. Like I, I, I it, to me, obviously they offer a little bit different things, but the fact that he's going in front of Pete Alonso, who's had you know what a fifty home run season already, yeah. he is like, or even in front of Luke Voigt, who like didn't he lead the majors in home runs yeah. last year? Like, yeah, the fact he's going in front of these guys doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No, I I, I totally agree, and it's like, nah. Stop. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's talk about the next move here. It's This is more of a general to just kind of cover everybody. I want to give uh, a tip as well. Jose Abreu uh, has COVID. He's completely asymptomatic. And we know that it's so hard. If you really want to know about COVID for somebody, you have to kind of follow it and just see if you can get beat reporter tidbits about how much it's hitting them. We do know that he's asymptomatic. And, uh, you know, it's unfortunate here. He's kind of bummed that, that he got 
caught up in it and, and tested positive, but it uh, looks like it should just be kind of the standard timetable of quarantining, and then Abreu will be back. I wanted to use this as a jump off to point out that on the roster resource injury report, you can just get a COVID-19 list. And so for all the ones that are reported, um, it'll be there, like Frankie Montas, J-Hap, Abreu, uh, Franchi Cordero are the fantasy relevant. Now, Cordero's only in protocol. The other guys tested positive. And then, like I said, to really be certain on where things are at with them, you you have to kind of do your own digging and just follow what sort of tidbits you can get to find out if it kicked their ass or if they're okay, uh, asymptomatic, et cetera, et cetera. But a- any move down the list for Abreu based on this, or is it early enough that you're not so concerned? Yeah, I'm not super concerned, especially with the kind of reports that he's been asymptomatic. I just, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think maybe people are thinking that the COVID stuff isn't going to derail teams and players the way it did Ooh, last yeah. year. And I think that is obviously, as we're already seeing kind of early in spring training, that's going to be kind of a mistake. So, yep. I mean, hopefully it's not as bad as last year because I'm assuming some people will have been vaccinated uh, and uh, and then obviously some people have already gotten it so they won't have to necessarily worry about it quite or you know uh, getting a second bout though we have seen people out in just you know the general world do yeah you certainly can twice um so yeah just something to kind of keep in mind another reason why i'm really pushing the uh the roster flexibility issue Mm -hmm. uh this year uh in all of my drafts uh you know the one that's really weird to me is like when we talked last week i think it like happened like it got reported right as we were on the podcast like shane bieber Got, got got COVID, right? And mm-hmm. he supposedly was not asymptomatic. He had minor symptoms. But then, like, the next day or, like, two days later, he's, like, in camp. I'm like, how does that even happen? I have no idea. Like I, I mean, it just said recently tested positive, and that was on February 18th. Like you said, two days later, he's back. How recently, I guess, yeah. is the real question. Maybe he had already been battling it. And um, and so, he yeah, was he was at the, the tail, tail end, end by then. Yeah. yeah. Who's to say for sure, but keep an eye on that. And that's an interesting one, by the way, too, because um, that one didn't pop up on the injury report list. And I wonder if there was something different about that or the fact that he was already at camp that Jason felt like he didn't need to put it on there. Jason Martinez, who does brilliant work with roster resource. So even even that, you know, sometimes things might not be caught because they don't fit a certain bucket there to get caught by uh, by Jason's, you know, codes or what, however he's uh inputting these sort of things with the COVID tests. So just keep it, keep your ear to the ground on it. We're going to get a bunch more cases. Hopefully nobody's uh, taken out completely there, but there will be guys, there will be a Moncada this year that gets, that carries it all year and just kind of deals with it. Or um, hopefully there's no Eduardo Rodriguez. So I don't want to, I don't even want to put that out there. Yeah. I just it's hope cool anybody that gets that it. He's gets on, through. yeah, he's, he's throwing bullpens and stuff. Yes, it really, it really is because that, that was scary, man. It mm-hmm. really took a turn and, there was even early talk, early, early talk, like he might be done playing. And thankfully, what not the case. Uh, all right, last bit of news before we get into some closers. We're going to go division by division with closers. Probably only get to the AL East today, but we'll play it, we'll play it by ear. Um, Royce Lewis, torn ACL, big-time prospect for Minnesota. You know, I know that uh, a, lot of, a lot of prospect sites didn't have him for making the, um, m- making the league this year. I kind of did. I, I kind of thought he was going to be up this year at some point. Now, 
there wasn't a ready-made spot, but he can also kind of move around a bit. So I was kind of seeing somebody that was going to make the majors this year, but Eric has a 2022 on it. Um, well, now that's guaranteed, right? Obviously, that not, not coming up now with a torn ACL. So that's kind of a bummer for Royce Lewis. Remember when we last saw him, I believe he was getting Arizona Fall League honors as the MVP after an otherwise kind of disappointing season. Um, it was nice to see, though, that that he kind of did something big there. Uh, 353, 411, 567, or 565 was his slash at the 2019 Fall League. And like I said, it was after a 661 high A double A combo in 2019. So I guess now 22, missing a whole year due to the ACL. Where do you stand on Royce Lewis and say Dynasty Leagues right now? Oh, man, this is a really tough one because. Minnesota brought in talent, right? I mean, they, yep. they brought in Angelton Simmons to play shortstop, which moved uh, uh, Polanco over to uh, second base. Second. And, I and, mean, there has been a lot of talk. to uh, Yeah, the outfield. Or, or like, super utility, mm-hmm. I believe is what they said. So, I mean, I think his his future is probably in the outfield. Uh, but this Lewis's, is you're saying, yeah, yeah. Royce Lewis's okay. future is in the outfield. So, uh, but this is super disappointing because I think this would have been the year he would have had a real shot to get up uh, and contribute, but uh, he's going to miss a whole year of development. I think if people are looking to sell low on him, I'm still willing to buy. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, projects out to have, you know, 60 grade power and, you know, 60 grade speed. So I think he could be a real difference in fantasy uh, if the tools all come together. The question Mm -hmm. is, is he ever going to hit enough to put those tools to good use? I don't know that uh, we have a real good answer for that. He's had moments in, in the minor leagues in which he has, and then moments where he's really struggled. So I'm, I've got him in a dynasty league. I'm not selling low on him. Uh, and if someone is willing to sell on him in a different dynasty league, I'd, I'd sure be trying to buy right now. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd test the water on uh, on Royce Lewis. You know, even when he comes back and everything, you're still talking about somebody who's going to be 23, 24. Um, you know, it's not like he can't be great. And uh, a lot can happen in this next year, too, to kind of clear up that playing time as well. So don't even worry about that at this point. Now you're just kind of looking toward the future with Royce Lewis and hoping that those skills that we saw poke out at the Fall League mm-hmm. can kind of get back on track and, and get him back to where he was, say, in 2018 when he was sitting 292, 352, 451 as a slash. So hopefully everything goes well with Royce Lewis. I hope that recovery is uh, I mean, just, is really sharp. Like him. if you go over to his page on Fangraphs and look at like – the Zips projection for him this year. They had him for 137 games, 607 plate appearances, 13 home runs, 20 stolen bases. It came with a 230 batting average. Still, but, though. Like, that's a rookie that they were looking at the skills and going, this guy could hit 13 home runs and steal 20 bases. Mm-hmm. There's a lot, there's a lot of talent there. And that's why I was saying, like, I know there wasn't an obvious opening right away. But I still thought that that Lewis was going to get up at some point this year. Of course, that's shelved now. Just get well from the ACL, and uh, we'll we'll see where he's at uh, in the future. Let's talk some closers. Let's start in the AL East, and uh, we're going to just kind of go team by team with the expected guy. I'll give an idea as to what my security level is on that. We could talk about that player in question and the others behind them. 
um, if there is any real contention there. Uh, you know, obviously some teams have a guy who's so locked in that even mentioning the backups isn't really worth it at this point. But this first team is not that case. Hunter Harvey in Baltimore. Um, you know, I did kind of a loose grading here of one being locked in, two being kind of firm, three being, uh, you know, you're, you're fighting, and then four just being really shaky. Like, or, or, or you're in a full committee. Either you're shaky because of skills or you're in a full committee. I kind of got Hunter Harvey at a three right now. Um, I think it could be the guy, but I don't think it's so locked in. Like, I, I still think Tanner Scott could make some noise, even though he's a lefty. Um, and Hunter Harvey's the righty, and they do, you know, teams do favor righties. Maybe Hunter Harvey might be like a two and a half. I settled on three there, just a little bit of concern. Also, the bad team aspect. I kind of, I kind of consider team aspect because I'm trying to talk about like where you'd want to draft them. Dude throws super hard, and uh, and and has shown some swing and miss stuff at times. But look at the disparity. Now these are two tiny samples, but it is funny how much disparity there is in the strikeout rates. Between his six innings of 2019, 42% strikeout rate, and his nine innings this year, 16% strikeout rate. Again, tiny, tiny samples, but hilarious disparity there. He did cut 10 points off the walk rate, though, and I, I imagine that that is in relation to the strikeouts. You know, finding more control, just kind of hitting the zone. 10 appearances, though, so I can't go too much off of it. Where do you come out on Hunter Harvey as a closer? Do you think he has security on the job? And if so, are you drafting him as a second, third guy? I have been. I've been drafting him a lot as sometimes a third or fourth guy. Oh, nice. Um, I mean, his, his ADP in online championship drafts over the last month is 311. Like oh, he, that's dirt cheap. Like, and, you know, so those of you who are in the don't pay for saves contingent. And if you know me, you're, I'm not <laughs> one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, like he is, like kind of really fits into that mold of a guy that you're not having to pay much for. He's got all the skills. He seems to be the, the front runner for that job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have kind of backed him up like in, in draft champions with Valdez uh, Caesar Valdez, because I do with think... Valdez, not Tanner Scott. Yeah, I think Scott. Okay. I mean, I think Scott will get some saves here and there, but I think, I think Harvey's the main guy, and if something were to happen to Harvey, Valdez would kind of be the next man up. But mm-hmm. um, I really like Hunter Harvey, and yeah, I mean, I've had no problem having him as my number two uh, closer in a fifteen-team league. If I'm kind of not really uh, worried about like locking in my second guy or is my number three or four. I mean, I, I, I've got him. I think he is my most rostered reliever. He was a premium prospect along with Dylan Bundy when they were coming up as, as starting prospects injuries really derailed Hunter Harvey. And now he's kind of on this bullpen. Uh, you know, he's in the bullpen. He's going to stick there. I think he'd become a big time closer to be honest. Like the skills are there with that premium fastball velocity and a good curveball. If that curveball can get more swing and miss, that's what's really going to send him to the next level because one thing I didn't mention with that big strikeout disparity is that the swing strike rate was the same both times, but a pedestrian 10%, per, 10%, um, which is, you know, it's fine, but it's not, it's not great. It's not like overwhelming, going to bring in a ton of strikeouts and he's already on a bad team. So I like him as a three, four type closer. Um, if he's your second guy, then you really kind of waited on saves and you're going to need to do some work during the season. So <laughs> yeah. that's Hunter Harvey. Correction. He is, not, he is not my most uh, uh, rostered reliever. Um, 
uh, Anthony Bass is my most oh, okay. rostered reliever, and then Ryan Helsley uh, and Archie Bradley. Okay. Well, we'll get into those guys definitely as we get to their teams. Uh, definitely not today, but uh, let's move on to Boston. Let's talk Boston here. This one, I, I had penciled in the guy because I was kind of doing the ones off the top of my head, and then I looked deeper, and it was, no, it's the incumbent it's looking like. There's expectation that Matt Barnes is going to hold this job, not newcomer Adam Adafino. Um, I, I didn't put a huge grade on that. I actually got him. I think this is probably another two and a half. I put two, though. I feel, feel like he's kind of firm based on what I read. It looks like they want to go with Matt Barnes. And then if Adovino takes the job due to failures from Barnes, I think it would go that route. But it looks like it looks like it's going to be Barnes to start. What do you think here in Boston? Do you agree that it's Matt Barnes? And if so, how interested are you? Yeah, I think this is the Boston situation from 2020, right? So in 2020, Brandon Workman was the guy and Barnes was the man kind of in the wings waiting um, until Boston could either uh, trade Workman or Workman was terrible. So uh, I think that's the case this year. I think... Uh, Barnes is the the guy, and Boston will look to kind of build up his value on the trade market and then trade him away, and Ottavino you know, becomes uh, the next man up. And that's how it's kind of being looked at in drafts, too, because Barnes is going uh, quite a bit higher. He's currently going at pick 192 in, in online championship drafts. Over the course of the last month, and Ottavino is uh, going at pick three forty, um, and Ottavino's min pick is two seventy five. So, I think it really depends on what you're looking for, what the depth of your league is. I mean, obviously, in if you've got shallower benches, you can't necessarily roster both guys, mm-hmm. um, and it's harder to do that in like a twelve team league. I think than it is maybe in a fifteen team league where you're okay r- rostering kind of the next man up, but mm-hmm. I do think Barnes has the role to start the season, and then Ottavino takes it either by uh, poor performance by Barnes or by uh, Barnes being traded to another team. Okay, so yeah, we'll keep it. We'll keep a closer eye on that uh, if anything changes, but yeah, it does really look like Barnes. I feel like you can draft him with some confidence out front at least, um, insofar as that he'll have the opportunities. We don't know how good Boston's going to be, but I, I don't think they're going to be a bottom feeder. I really don't. I think that they're going to kind of meander their way to kind of like a, a low 80s win total, and that'll give him enough opportunities there, um, at least at the outset, and then Adovino will pick up later if they do indeed trade Barnes. Uh, so that's where Boston's at. New York's kind of an easy one. It's a role this Chapman, and he won't be challenged unless um, it, it, that role will not be overtaken unless he is out for some reason. Yeah. Don't forget, um, though, he is suspended for, like, the first three games of the season. So if you are playing, especially in a shallower format, where uh, Zach Britton isn't going to Get, those, gonna get be, those three starts. Yeah. Or you, those, uh, you know, you know co- might get a couple saves there. Yeah, especially, like, in NFBC leagues where, you know, the first, the first scoring period is three days. And then you get a fat period. So you can Boom. just draft, you know, Britton... Uh, and then drop him at that first fab period because Chapman will be back. I like it. I like it. Thinking smart there, trying to get every little edge that you mm-hmm. can get. And uh, Zach Britton could be the guy to, uh, you know, those two saves might be the, the game changer for you. Uh, at the complete other end of the spectrum is Tampa Bay. Like, 
I, I literally put it as a four. My 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 least confidence uh, for Tampa Bay with with Nick Anderson, Nick Anderson, Pete Fairbanks. And Diego Castillo all have a little CL next to them on roster resource. We know what they do here. And yet, despite this, despite knowing exactly what they do, Nick Anderson's ADP is still 138. I get that he's a badass pitcher regardless, but <sighs> that's a high pick to just take a guy who like is going to be a good reliever with some saves thrown in as opposed to the guy, yeah. right? Yeah, and I, I mean, love the talent, but that's that's nerve wracking. I just don't trust them. Like, and right now, like all three of those guys—Fairbanks, Nick Anderson, Diego Castillo—they're all right-handed. So, would it surprise you if a lefty pops up into that mix as well? Considering a little it's Tampa Bay, so now we're talking yep. about potentially four guys. You know, maybe it's a guy like Cody Reed jumps up, or Ryan mm-hmm. Sheriff. Like, I—it's such a messy situation. And, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, I think there were 12 guys on the Rays who recorded a save last year. Which is absurd, dude. They played 60 games. And here's the thing. I'm so torn about it because as a baseball fan and just, like, analyzing the way to run a bullpen, I adore it because I think it's the right way to do it. As a fantasy person, it is beyond maddening. And so I have that that push-pull there of like respecting it on the baseball side and and you know shaking my fist at them as a fantasy dork uh, because I want Nick Anderson to get, you know, 45 saves and have a freaking 0.2 ERA and 9,000 strikeouts cuz he's amazing. But they're just not going to treat him like that. So Yeah. How yeah. high how high can you really take him? Like do do you agree with that ADP or you think it's too high? I mean, too low, maybe. I don't know. You might, you might love him. <laughs> I, I, I took him in a draft uh, back in October, um, and this was like before the World Series, I think. So, mm-hmm. um, and I have regretted that move ever since. Like, he's going one thirty six in front of, like, right in front of my boy Trevor Rosenthal, going in front of Craig Kimbrell. Uh, I mean, I just can't. As much as I love the skills, and like I don't think you'll be disappointed from like a skills or even in an overall statistics you know point of view. Like I think he would probably, when it comes to straight dollar values, return the value you're drafting him at. The problem becomes you've just drafted him as your number one, or I mean number two closer if you took a really early closer. You're going really crazy, yeah. Yeah, and now you still don't have enough saves to compete in the category. Exactly. And you make a great point there about how his bottom line dollar value might make that a worth it pick, quote unquote. But you're drafting him for saves. NFBC, you need saves. You can't punt anything in a non-standalone league. So like if you're in a standalone regular league, you can even maybe take him there because you're like, okay, I'll get other saves or I'm punting saves. I just want the elite numbers. Although I would say to that, if you really want that, just wait 50 picks and take Devin Williams. Because I mean, even that's a pretty high price, but he's a guy who can match Anderson in like the ratios and all the strikeouts and everything. And he's going to probably get the same amount of saves yeah. with Hader there, you know? And, and that's actually the thing. Especially with some of the kind of rumors that were floating around yesterday that uh, the Brewers were talking to the Padres about trading Hader. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I mean, here's the thing, you know, I said the, the 12, you know, there were 12 Tampa Bay Rays that, uh, got saves last year during the regular season. Uh, so wild. You, you know who is not on that list of 12? 
uh, Castillo? No, Peter Fairbanks. Fairbanks didn't even get one. And he got three saves in the postseason. <laughs> so add a 13th guy in there, that's like, wild. It's just like any, like Brandon Lau could get saves. <laughs> They're trying him out of close. Dude, they really want that flexibility. We told you that they want flexibility. <laughs> um, again, I love it. I, that's how I would run a, run a rotation or a, a staff myself. But we can't make heads or tails of it, and so it's really difficult to draft these guys. Well, it's really difficult to draft Anderson. The others are dirt cheap. Mm-hmm. So if you really want a piece of, of the Tampa Bay bullpen, I think the really smart move to pay the biggest return is to just take your gamble on Castillo or Fairbanks, or yeah. if you want to even throw a shot at somebody else, maybe you can. But those are the three really that you're looking at, Anderson, Castillo, Fairbanks, in that order. Um, it's a mess, but understand what you're going to be getting from Nick Anderson and over a course of a full season, I would probably cap him at about 20 saves. And then you have to determine if that's enough. And that that's probably still a big number. Uh, yeah, I, I more, think that is probably overreaching on Nick it, Anderson. It's probably more like 15 at, yeah. at the high end, I'm being honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to downgrade that and say 15. Um, and you have to make the assessment if, if that's good enough for you because – you still need a heck of a lot more saves to compete for anything like an overall. And so that, that's an NFBC consideration. If you're fine with 15 saves and you're going to take like a Hunter Harvey and another tier three type of guy and you're going to get saves from them, by all means. But just understand what you're doing when you take Nick Anderson because it's unlikely that they just turn him loose. Well, and I think that is a really good point because, you know, I think sometimes people will grab a guy like Nick Anderson and then go grab the Hunter Harvey, and they're like, I got my two closers. And well, then no. at the end of the season, it's like, whoa, actually that turned out because Baltimore is so bad, even if Hunter Harvey were to hold on to the job the whole year, that really just turned into one closer. And yeah, it's you, like 35 saves two draft, the two of draft spots for it. So, Yep. I think if you take Nick Anderson, you should be committed to taking another like premium guy. Yeah, but then that's and, a that's lot a, that's of a, draft a, capital. I understand. I understand. On. But but if you want to take him, I think I think you need to do that to be competitive in saves. And again, I am talking more NFBC here because you need to be in the overall. You need to have saves. But uh, I I don't think it's just NFBC. That's specifically what I'm focused on. But any league where the saves are competitive and you really want to compete there, you know, I think you need to get a Rosenthal right after or Rysel Iglesias. It doesn't necessarily have to be Hendricks, Hayter, or Chapman, but it does have to be another guy who's kind of got a firm hold on a job. On a quality team as well. That's my opinion. That's what I would do. I agree. All right. Last one here in the AL East is Kirby Yates, who again feels a little bit. I mean, he's not quite the Chapman set, though, because of the way his season ended where he was. I mean, he is the locked in guy. And if he's healthy, nobody's touching him. But it's that if there because he's 34 years old, he's coming off of an injured, injured season. What do you think of Kirby Yates as a Toronto Blue Jay here? And then we'll get into maybe some of the candidates who could take it over if uh, if things go south. I really want to see him pitch in spring training. Um, and I, I, I mean, my, my teams have reflected this, that I have not drafted him yet in mm-hmm. spite of the fact that, uh, I mean, in 2019, 2018, he was the best or one of the best relievers in all of baseball. Yep. Uh, and I, but and I got elbow surgery last year, by the way, to remove bone yeah. chips. If you're wondering what the injury was. And I mean, hopefully that, you know, it's only bone chips. So getting that cleared out is obviously, uh, you know, a big issue. It was a big issue for him. And maybe he just goes back to be the, the dominant reliever that he was. But 
as much as I have enjoyed watching Kirby Yates pitch over the last few years, I'm a little concerned that, you know, he's 33 years old. Uh, you know, he's coming off a season in which he was having elbow difficulty. Uh, you, mm-hmm. I mean, it was only four innings, but he was atrocious when he was on the field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, it was a lost. Season yeah. So you don't want to look too much at the, the statistics or anything, but I definitely want to see him pitch, see that, you know, he still has like the same kind of velocity that he was throwing at, you know, I want to see him throwing 93, 94. Uh, mm-hmm. and then I want to make sure that his control seems intact because one of the things that made him such an effective reliever was that it, you know, he had pinpoint control and command. Um, and so I want to see that that's intact. If that's the case, then I think you start talking about him being kind of in that top seven, you know, top six, seven, eight kind of closer situation up there with, you know, the guys like Brad Hand and um, Kenley Jansen. You know, he's not going to jump into the elite tier for me, but he could kind of be part of that second tier. No, I, I totally agree with that. I think that's exactly what we're looking at here with Kirby Yates. But let's talk about some of the guys behind him just in case things go a bit south because the, this is a competing team. And if he doesn't have it for some reason or gets hurt and has to be shelved, they're going to be looking elsewhere. And Jordan Romano is somebody who I'm really intrigued by. In fact, I was drafting – I drafted him in a couple early drafts before Kirby Yates was uh, you know, a twinkle in the Blue Jays' eye. Uh, and obviously those picks turned out – not so great. He was pretty cheap anyway, so it's okay. But he really broke out last year, and he was stunted by injury too, by the way. He only threw 14 and two-thirds. But 37% strikeout rate, uh, really following the trend that we're seeing across baseball of getting away from a fastball, even like a decent one. You know, he throws 95-98 uh, range. He was at 97 on average last year, but only threw it 40%. That was a 24-point dip, and he put all of that into his slider, which was incredible for Jordan Romano. And both pitches worked really, really well. Less was more with the fastball, and the slider did its thing. 19% swinging strike rate overall. The only thing was a little bit of a home run issue, which kind of continued to trend from the year before. He did cut his home run rate, uh, and he cut it starkly. But when you cut your home run rate starkly and you're still at 1.2, that speaks to a home run issue because it was 2.4 the year before. Now, let me be clear. We're talking 30 total innings here. So just look at it as a whole. We'll call it 1.8 homer per nine. That's still a problem, and that is an issue, and I understand why they why they wanted to get a premium guy there in Kirby Yates. But I still like Jordan Romano. I think he can trim that home run rate, continue to kind of cultivate himself. I'm really eager to see what he can do even as a uh, you know $3, $4 AL-only middle reliever type this year. I think he could be a good piece there in those sorts of formats, but I like Jordan Romano. Rafael Dolis got some saves too, but I really think Romano's the next guy easily in my opinion. And I want to call out one guy that I know Jason Collette would want me to call out is Julian Merriweather because he really likes him as somebody who can maybe get into the rotation too. So just the overall talent of Julian Merriweather I want to call out. Um, and we don't know where his role is necessarily going to be. It could be into the rotation or into relief. So I'll put him on the radar as well. But Romano's my guy. How do you feel about Yates' backups? Who are you targeting? And are you targeting them if you're in like your draft champions because you have a little bit of skepticism about Yates? I probably should have been targeting these guys a little bit more than... I have. I don't. I think I've got Romano a couple times, and maybe Dolis a couple times. Um, I think Romano's likely the next man up. Uh, he's got a little bit of uh, Sergio Romo to him, 
which can be a little bit scary because not everybody can hold up throwing what I think he throws the sliders. Eight billion sliders. Yeah, sixty percent of the time. And that's um, that's the comp there, by the way. Yes, he yeah. Throws yeah. much much harder. Just in case anyone's yeah. thinking that he's a frisbee guy, no, he just he, he just Justin's talking specifically about slider centric exactly. Yeah, uh, throwing there. So, but I mean, both his fastball and slider are really good pitches. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if he is healthy and I think it was a finger issue last year, it wasn't like an elbow. It was, it was. So, you know, and supposedly he has no restrictions coming into spring training. And so I do think Romano is next man up if something happens to Kirby Yates. So while I'm not, you know, completely bought in on Kirby Yates yet because of the health for that reason alone, I should be getting more, uh, shares of Jordan Romano. Uh, and you know, I'm actually kind of kicking myself a little bit as we talk that I haven't done that. And I could see, you know, 65 innings with maybe a more of a, a threes ERA, something firm in the threes because of those home runs, but a great whip and great strikeouts, even if he doesn't close. So call it like a 3:30 ERA, which is a little bit higher for a reliever, but again, because of the homers, but still a 117 whip and a 30-plus percent strikeout rate, that plays in a lot of different league types. AL only, obviously, is the best mode for that, but that plays for Jordan Romano, and I think he'll be a nice bullpen piece for them um, as they're obviously building something big in Toronto there. So depending on how you feel about Yates, you should consider Romano first, and then uh, if you're in like a really deep AL only, like I said, Dolise, uh, Julian Merriweather, that's a shout to Jason. He kind of put me on that. Um, I was in, I ended up searching him up this week, looking at him because he was talking about him on PitchCon. I was like, oh, who who's what's what's up with Julian Merriweather here? And I was like, oh, dang, yeah. Uh, per usual, Jason has it. He knows what's up. Yep. So I thought that was He's a good call. He's been talking about him. him since like the beginning of last year. That that's it. That's his guy for yeah. sure. If if if, if Julian Merriweather pops. It's a collect guy. Like that's yeah, you know how people get associated like, with players. Yeah, this is like your early Corey Kluber love and stuff. It's just like you know if, if he comes out of nowhere the way like Kluber did, and uh, that's that that's like a win for Jason because yeah, yeah, because yeah, he's definitely calling it out. And speaking of Jason, I can't wait till the new pitch tracker pops up and starts getting uh, oh. getting populated with some things in here. I can't wait to see I some guys that are seeing, coming in with yeah. some new things. I keep seeing articles about guys with new pitches, and I'm just oh, he's already like, gathering data. I, oh, I know yeah. it. Yeah. I know it. I'll, in fact, actually, I'll ping him on this and see where he's at as far as uh, getting it set up because I can't wait. And uh, that's always one of my most favorite parts of the season to see, and you know, kind of wish cast on some of the guys like, oh, I've been waiting for him to get a third pitch, or no, I don't believe in this one. But it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, well, play more closers to talk about. We're going to cut it here. We could maybe go to the AL Central, but I'm a little bit tight on time, so we'll we'll go ahead and just do the East here. We'll have the Central. We'll try to get two divisions uh, in the next couple episodes here. But this one was a lot of news, and like I said, a little bit of a time limit. So uh, we'll cut this one here. But, Justin, I hope you have a great weekend. I'm so excited for Potapalooza. People can just follow your Twitter mm-hmm. uh, to get all the information for that, right, Justin Mason, FWFB? Yeah, yeah, you can follow that. Or if you uh, if you like my page on, on, fan, uh, on Facebook or uh, follow me on Twitch or something like that. They're all going to, like, it's all going to drop at the same time. It is going to be done in, like, if you're watching on social media, there's going to be three different, like, posts per day because mm. certain social media sites, uh, Facebook, uh, won't <laughs> let you for, to live stream for more than four, hour, four hours at a time before it cuts you off. So Really? Yeah. Like, Twitch, I could, I could run for, like, 36 Forever. straight hours like you know 24 is all the time yeah. so i don't understand what's what's the what's the thinking there uh, i don't know 
I really that's don't. weird. Like all of my streams, I mean, are almost all of them are four, longer than four hours. So at, like the yeah. four hour mark, I'd have to log off, sign back. Oh, on. actually, it's not. It's not Facebook. Actually, it, it's uh, it's Twitter. Twitter won't oh, run okay. a live stream because you know, like they have the the tweet limit, and like you can only yep. post a video that's like a like two minutes long, and yep. so like yep. yeah, the Twitter will only let you run for four hours before it just stops showing what you what you're doing. So I'm assuming that's why like PitchCon like didn't tweet out mm-hmm. the actual live video. So yeah, uh, yeah, you can follow it on on Twitter, uh, YouTube. Twitch and um, and Facebook, so lots of different places to catch it. And then if you can't if you can't catch them, um, you know, you clip them. Yeah, they'll they'll be available. The videos themselves will be available over on YouTube, uh, and then I'll be turning every single segment into a podcast. Fantastic! That that's that's really really good. Uh, I also want to point out that our Patreon is live, and appreciate those folks that are coming through on it right now. We haven't talked a ton about it. We're still kind of getting our footing over there but the uh, the discord's up now mm-hmm. got some folks chatting in there nick pollock's um, in that's, there nick pollock was first mm-hmm. so as we get more into that by the way we will we will kind of uh, ex- uh expand the channels that we have right now we got general roto head-to-head dynasty nfbc on-field baseball podcast stuff uh where you can leave questions for jason or for justin in there for the sunday episodes with jason uh so yeah join that uh, most of the tiers that you support will have Discord access, and then uh, there's all sorts of stuff there. If you you know if you want to go big, if you want to go big, you can get one of us to help you with your draft. And whether that's a draft prep session, um, you know, a week before your draft or at the actual draft, it depends on time and everything. But you will be signing up for a legit planning sesh with one of us if that's something that you're interested in so go check that out uh, we got a lot of stuff i'm excited to see how this goes because we're just getting into the patreon game here and i'm excited to offer new content uh you know q a's zooms uh, extra episodes all sorts of stuff like that so it's gonna be a great year justin i'm really excited and man baseball's back like it it I know we haven't had like the first Grapefruit League or Cactus League games yet, but it's back and I'm getting the buzz. And like I said, with this weather changing on me back up to the 80s, that's really putting my mindset into baseball. So I'm pretty geeked right now, man. And I hope you have a great weekend. I hope Potapalooza goes well and I'll talk to you next week. Take it easy.